The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, huge weekend ahead in the Premier League. We talk Manchester City, Chelsea and the North London derby. Back up on the M23 derby, discuss Newcastle's newest <laughs> member and why Jamie Vardy is about the only person not having a party. Plus, Afghan, as in Afghan and blown too early and why the tournament has been a decent watch even if the referees wasn't that much, much more on goal average than you'll ever need in this totally football show in association with Paddy Power. Thursday, January the 13th. All right, listener. Good to have you with us. Us, in this case, being... Hey, Duncan Alexander. All right, Duncan. Hello, James. Don Fifield also with us. Hello, James. And equally, the Sue Gray of Football Analysis, Michael Cox. All right, Michael. Hi, James. Yes. Good to have your pronouncements, Michael, on a broad range of themes. It's been a... It's been a busy midweek, actually. Uh, Wednesday was a little bit of a litmus test of where your sensibilities lie in terms of football. With There was a, a Classico in, in Saudi Arabia, a, a Derby d'Italia in the Italian Super Cup. You had another free-scoring goalgasm in the AFCON. Michael, you were probably off watching Kingstonian playing uh, someone. I'm not sure. What, what was everyone watching? Of course, there was also the League Cup semi-final, that Spurs-Chelsea game. What, what did you choose? I did a bit of everything. Watched the League did Cup semi final. It was also the FA Cup game on Monday. I don't know whether oh, yeah. you um, where you stand on Monday night being considered midweek, Joan. Well, I was issue. specifically referencing how it that there was that kind of how Wednesday night brought so many uh, con- confluent. There was a Premier was League a, game as well. There was a Premier League game, but not on not on normal TV. Yeah, but no, certainly on Monday night there was also that FA Cup game a rematch of which features in this weekend's Premier League fixtures, uh, excitingly. I kind of rematch, uh, Villa hosting Man United this time. We'll get around to all of that. Dom, were you across the League Cup semi-final part two? I was. Bit of a mismatch. Indeed it was. Still, at least it wasn't a made-up game like the Classico in the Supercopper semi-final in the in Saudi Arabia. So, hey, maybe maybe let's start with uh, Tottenham-Chelsea, which was uh, Wednesday evening, second leg. Uh, Thomas Tuchel becoming the first manager in Chelsea's history to guide the Blues to the final of the League Cup, the FA Cup and the Champions League, all in less than a year. That's remarkable stuff from Thomas. Really does illustrate how well he's done. They didn't have to play well against Tottenham in either game, really, to be honest, to, to get to get through to the League Cup final. Um, it's all a bit a bit of a letdown, really. I mean, there was a lot of... All the build-up was about Antonio Conte coming up against his, his previous employers and how he'd be desperate to get a result. But apart from for a, a, maybe a 15-minute spell on Wednesday night, which was wrecked by VAR making correct calls... Spurs didn't really get up for it at all, and they—I mean—the the, the goals in the first leg, the two own goals, effectively just wrecked the tie. It was a foregone conclusion. Mm. What did you make of the decision to go with Pierluigi Golini in goal uh, rather than say Hugo Lloris? They'd have been better off with Pierluigi Colina, wouldn't they? I think. <laughs> Playing a referee between the posts would be an interesting call, and possibly an effective one. Michael, I know that it brought you some joy, referencing your Twitter feed, uh, that you had Kepa and Golini, two members of the elite goalkeepers with names that sound like a translation of the word goalkeeper <laughs> crew, uh, on field together. Yeah, you do wonder whether that's why they're in the positions they're in, because neither of them ever seemed very convincing. I thought Golini's goalkeeping for the um, for the concession was obviously a massive error. And Kepa... I mean, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think he de- he deliberately played Harry Kane offside, didn't he, for that mm. disallowed goal? It's, I mean, it's rare it's enough good. that you see, you know, one of those situations where the goalkeeper's not the last man. So it's quite a confusing offside sometimes. But he actually stepped up and put his arm up, like like the old um, Arsenal offside trap. It was it was great. He was absolutely convinced that Kane was offside. And from that reaction, as I was watching the replay, I was like, well, Kepa was sure, uh, and he was right. 
It's what you want from the most expensive goalkeeper in football history is the ability to also play as a central defender. So right. I like it. See, you want a, a referee playing in goal. What Chelsea have is a linesman, linesman <laughs> playing that, <laughs> that particular role. Uh, anyway, well, it was a bit of a, a foregone conclusion, Dom, as you were suggesting, from the first leg. The League Cup semi-finals continue on Thursday evening with Liverpool against Arsenal, as long as Liverpool find that convenient. And then we'll discover from that and the... The next leg, who Chelsea will be taking on in the final. I mentioned Tuchel's incredible strike rate of getting to finals in the less than a year that he's been in charge. If you extend that back to his to his uh, Paris Saint-Germain reign, he's now reached six finals in a row. That's pretty good stuff. Also, since he took charge of Chelsea, he's faced Spurs four times and has won all four games without conceding a single goal. Crikey. Now, this weekend, Chelsea will be up against the arguably more arduous adversaries of Man City. While Spurs will have the North London derby against Arsenal. Uh, We'll get on to the Premier League next. I should just mention, though, having flagged up the Super Cup in Italy, that Inter won that, beating Juve 2-1. Alexis Sanchez uh, with a winning goal. Nice to see. Right at the end of uh, time added on. While Real Madrid went through to the final of the Spanish Super Cup, beating Barcelona 3-2 after extra time. Michael, I know you're a big fan of football innovation, so I'm sure you love having the Community Shield played as a Final Four in a foreign country. Yeah, I I, I mean, if we're ever going to have games played abroad, I think it probably should be the Super Cup and the Community mm. Shield and that kind of thing. It kind of makes sense because it's not a particularly prestigious competition. It's meant to be a bit of a pre-season friendly, but yeah, not sure it really works in January. And the semi-final thing, I mean, you don't get to compete in the Super Cup for being runner-up in the domestic cup. It's complete nonsense. <laughs> yeah, no, that you're right. It does really wind me up. Well done. <laughs> All right, we'll touch on one or two other issues that wind Michael up in the course of today's also, uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. No one is ever going to say. What was, someone says, "What's your favourite game of football?" They're, gonna, they're never going to say. Oh, probably the semi-final of the Super Cup. It's just, it's a non, it's a non-entity. Luddites. All right, next up, on to the Premier League weekend. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Match day 22, what a great set of fixtures we have this weekend. Uh, there's a battle of the top two, Man City and Chelsea taking each other on. Uh, Champions League final rematch, that of course. There's the North London derby, Spurs-Arsenal. The not like a derby, really, a Brighton Crystal Palace. The relegation six-pointer that is Newcastle-Watford, plus two games that, as mentioned, are straight-up revenge rematches of cup games from a week ago. Villa-Man United, possibly, featuring Philippe Coutinho and West Ham-Leeds. Also this weekend, Burnley-Leicester, Wolves-Saints, Norwich-Everton and Liverpool-Brentford, which last time around at Brentford was a bit of a crazy 3-3 draw. Uh, Lots to look forward to. Let's begin with Man City-Chelsea. All right, Michael... Uh, Champions League final rematch. This is actually the second time that Chelsea and Man City will have met since Chelsea's 1-0 win in Porto. Man City are winning a 1-0 at the bridge in September. This time around, 10 points between the two sides. Is it all about whether Pep picks Rodri this time? <laughs> um, no, not all about that, but... Uh... Yeah, it'd be an interesting to see how he goes. I mean, I think City's performance away at Stamford Bridge in the reverse fix is probably the best team performance I've seen from any side in the Premier League this year. Their, their pressing was brilliant. They just didn't give Chelsea a sniff. I think maybe it's more Tuchel's tactics that will be more interesting, actually, because he went 3-5-2, I think, for the first time in the reverse fix, and it really didn't work. It didn't work in midfield. They couldn't get the ball to Lukaku and Werner. Um, and it's all about, I mean, a draw would suit... Manchester City. I, I think this feels like the last chance, really, to make a, a fight of it in terms of the title this season. It's ten points the gap. If that can be reduced to, to seven, it looks a little bit more uh, like game on. But yeah, the, the ball's in Chelsea's court as far as I'm concerned, and I think City have license to play quite cautiously. And not that they tend to play like this, but if this was to finish nil nil, I think Guardiola would be delighted. All right then, eleven league wins in a row for City now. Chelsea though are unbeaten in the last ten. In all competition, well, no, lost 11 now, actually, with that Spurs game. Your um, pal Kepper will presumably be in goal with uh, Edward Mendy still on AFCON duty. Uh, one of his most famous moments in a Chelsea shirt came, of course, against City. Do you recall? 
Maurizio Sarri, with all justification, he can't back is fuming. He can't back down, he's got to force him to come up. He's made his decision. He's got to stand his ground, Sarri. No. Well, the players won. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Hasn't Richie Sarri been linked with signing Kepa this week, which seems a, a nice, a, yeah, a nice epilogue to the uh, to the buddy falling out at Wembley. But um, I I like Kepa. I think yes, as Michael said earlier, he is unconvincing at times. But he is, I think he's possibly the greatest ever backup goalkeeper in the history of football. Um, in that you wouldn't play him for a whole season, but he is very good when he comes in, and you know you could see him having a having a redemption style performance in this game. So uh, uh, I mean, also- I'm just I'm just going to say that Romero, Donnarumma at PSG. Yeah, but they they feel like first team keepers that you know don't through Get circumstance picked. aren't in the team. Yeah, whereas right, Kepa right. feels like. It didn't. It's never really worked for him as a first choice, but he feels like the the best luxury second choice goalkeeper in the history of football. So really, mm. okay. Yeah. Would, as Michael says, it does feel like a little bit of a do or die moment for uh, Man City's massive lead at the top. Don, what do you make of Chelsea's chances of of of, of getting another victory this time? Well, Tuchel. I mean that that game at Stamford Bridge aside earlier this season, Tuchel has done well against. Guardiola's city um, with, with since coming to Chelsea so they are capable of raising their game to to inflict a, a, the win that was, is required for the title race you're quite right and Liverpool will be hoping that Chelsea win at the Etihad as well I've, I've been surprised of late I mean having seen the Chelsea game against Brighton just before the turn of the year when they looked so exhausted they looked absolutely devoid of energy but they seem to have had a, a sort of second wind of of late, and they're, they're a bit more revitalised. They, the maybe the the Lukaku situation actually helped fire them up a bit, and they they've had a bit more about them of, of late. I mean, okay, they haven't. You can argue they haven't particularly been tested in either of the games against Spurs, and Chesterfield was a, a bit of a buy in the FA Cup. But it's just served to get their juices going again, basically, and 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 I th- I think that they will go there in better a better state physically and mentally than than if you if you go back three weeks almost. Um, they'll have Angola Conte back. They'll have Thiago Silva back potentially. I mean, I think they will pose City a few problems, and yeah, they won there last season. I can see them. I can see them nicking a result here. Just and I hope they do. To be honest, just just for the sake of the title race, just to give us well, something to talk about for the next few months. Mm. Saturday at 12.30, that game. Liverpool, meanwhile, will have to wait till Sunday at 2 o'clock before they get their match. They're 11 points behind City, but do have a game in hand on Pep's side. They also have a visit from Brentford, who took them to a bonkers 3-3 last time out in very West London. That was in September. Klopp afterwards saying, we couldn't handle the Bees' intense style of play. Brentford, though not quite at that pitch anymore, not quite at that level of late, and particularly this Tuesday when they were beaten 4-1 by by Saints. We should point out Southampton, it's been a long time, 78 home games since they'd scored four or more goals, and Mm. they're a strange team, Southampton. I think they're a lot better than their league position has has, uh, made them look this season. They've actually spent the sixth highest time winning games this season, which you know is decent, they just as as everyone knows they throw away points a lot. Right, but a few tweaks here and there, and you know they could be in and around your your Brightons and your and your Wolves. I think so. Well, this weekend Saturday they're going to be aware of another of the league's big scorers, Wolves, with a chance to <laughs> improve their league standing with a potential three points there. We'll touch on that match later on, but having briefly talked about the top three. Next up, let's discuss the North London derby. Hi again, listeners. Please don't fast forward. What a treat we have in store this Friday night under the lights of the seaside as Brighton take on bitter rivals Crystal Palace. Amazingly, Brighton have scored only one more goal in all competitions than they did at this point in the season last year. Blimey. Hashtag stat attack. Potter's men, remember listeners, were the butt of every XG joke made last year by the Anoraks on social media. This year, though, they look more equipped to deliver on their impressive potential. The Brighton players will also be well fired up after what happened when the two met last season at the Amex. The home side dominated with 75% possession and had a massive haul of 25 shots. 
Palace, meanwhile, had just three shots. Two of them were on target, and of course two of them went in. Hashtag smashiest of smashing grabs. Potter's men are easy on the eye of late for sure, and their want-away midfielder, Yves Basuma, did his best Michael Essien impression in the recent 1-1 draw at Stamford Bridge, but he'll be over with Mali at the African Cup of Nations, and that will be good news for Palace fans, hoping that their men can get something from the game. The traders make Brighton the firm favourites at 21-20, the draw is 11-5, and the Palace win is 11-4. Neil Mopai has four in his last six in all comps, and scored at Palace in the 1-1 draw back in September. He's 7-2 to score the first goal in this one. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or indeed the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s. T's and C's apply. BeGambleAware.org. And remember, take time to think. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. North London Derby, Arsenal two points ahead of Spurs coming into this one. It's Sunday 4.30, by the way. Arsenal haven't won away at Tottenham since 2014. Crikey. They're also a bit short of central midfielders because everyone's gone off to AFCON. Spurs are without the injured Sun Young Min. What do you make of this one then? I think West Ham's win in midweek, um, they sort of hit some reasonable form again um, after that wobble over Christmas. And it's a really that race for fourth place is possibly going to be the thing that keeps everyone excited towards the end of the season because you've got four maybe five teams all going for it so for spurs and arsenal obviously spurs have got games in hand but you know losing this match not only will be a p- painful because of local pride but it it could be pretty you know disastrous in terms of that that top four chase so um yeah it's good to that, to have a game like this with with so, so many things riding on it i guess we touched a little bit on, on Spurs. Arsenal, though, Michael, after what had been a, a good run of results for them, hit another bit of a downturn, got knocked out of the cup at Forest last weekend, no shots on target whatsoever. They don't have a good record away to Spurs. And this the kind of fixture that you worry about their, their young lineup and how they're going to cope with it mentally? Yeah, maybe. I think central midfield is obviously an issue with a couple of players away at AFCON. A bit surprised Maitland-Niles went out on loan at the start of the month. Um, so that's maybe an issue. I'm looking forward to this game, but I don't really have a feel for how it will go. I mean, Tottenham-Arsenal usually is, is very quite open, quite action-packed, usually very frenetic. But this is the first time we've seen Arteta against Conte, and I'm not quite sure which side will look to dominate. I think they're similar in a way. I think both sides are better when they have the ball. But I'm not sure they're particularly good at dominating possession. I think Arsenal are best when they can put together very quick forward passing moves that kind of cut through the opposition lines. I think uh, Tottenham are quite similar as well. Conte's sides usually are quite similar. So I'm not sure how it will go. Like I say, it's usually played at a a very fast pace. I mean, the reverse fixture was almost one within 20 or 30 minutes, I think. Spurs were just desperate to get after Arsenal and left themselves completely exposed in front of the defence. Obviously, a different manager at that stage. But... um, yeah, I don't have a real feeling for this one, but I think it should be a good game. Okay, excellent. Dom, did you want to throw in any opinion on this, or should we this... move on to the other bitter derby that's going on this weekend? <laughs> um, I'm intrigued to see Conte's body language on the on the touchline, mate, because he's he seemed so deflated of late. His, some of his post match press conferences have been second year Chelsea syndrome already. I mean, it's 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 come a bit too early for him. Um, but you know, even if he was frustrated, he would have recognised that the overcoming of that 2-0 first leg deficit against Chelsea was unlikely against uh, in, the, in the rematch in midweek. But it's almost as if he was gearing up for, for Sunday. It's all about the North London derby now. So you, you want to see him going back to the, I don't know, the frazzled hair and, and running around and diving into the crowd and screaming and shouting, um, ranting and raving Antonio Conte that we thought we were getting at, at Tottenham Hotspur that would sort of get them up for, for games like this. And if, if if he's like that, it may set the mood for the team because, you know, they have been so anemic of, of late at times in games, starting games, even against Morecambe in the FA Cup. They mm. just need to, to fire from the outset and, and unsettle an Arsenal team that will arrive without much of a midfield, as, as Michael says. Yeah, it's Arsenal, so you can count on Harry Kane to be up for it, at least, with his terrific scoring record against the Gunners. What is it, 11, I think, in the last 14 appearances? Hmm. 
all-time top scorer. Is he in that fixture? In North London, yeah. Is he? Right. Let's talk about, uh, Dom, the other fixture that splits families in two right across Crawley and Hayward's Heath, uh, Bright- Brighton and Crystal Palace. Will you be venturing down to the mean streets of Brighton for this one? I will be taking on Falmer, yes. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Um, ooh, what happened in the reverse fixture? A 1-1 draw at Sirhurst Park with that remarkable 95th-minute equaliser from Neil Mope. We, you recall that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, every every night, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> so. That was before the advent of Michael Olise, though, who <laughs> who you flagged up to us. I mean, you liked him way before it was a thing. But before he'd even debuted for Palace, you, you were singing his praises here on this podcast. I just think he was a player that, that took the championship by storm last year. He, he was he was excellent in terms of goal scoring and assists at Reading, um, and at eight million pounds with a with the buyout clause, it was it was such a bargain. I was I was surprised that other clubs didn't didn't go in and and, and test test the waters on it. To be honest, um, Palace have used him relatively sparingly. He's only started two Premier League games so far, and this will be the third. But he's got everything. I mean, it's he's. He's he's quicker than he looks. He's very very skillful. That left foot is is a, a thing of beauty. Um, his 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 vision and creativity both right up there. And and it's it's sort of an indication of where Palace are. That they no longer, you know, without Wilfred Zaha, they're no longer completely toothless. They they have mm. a threat now. They carry a threat, and that's even without you know Eze in the team. I'm not saying that he'll he'll find it as easy. At Brighton, as he as he did in the second half of fifteen minutes at Millwall, but it, I mean, Palace and and Michael Elise played for fifteen minutes at the New Den, and that was all it needed to to get past those opponents. They'll have to be they'll have to raise their games considerably in uh, at the Amex to to get anything from that match. But Elise will be key. You were at the New Den last weekend for the FA Cup game. Yeah, yeah. What what was the feeling among the Palace fans coming back from that after his performance? Fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, coming back, they were probably delighted. Um, mouthwatering. They found the whole thing exciting. This, this is a, a, a talent who not only not only dominated, for, oh, no, won that tie, won that tie for Palace with an amazing little fifteen-minute burst where he he scored a, a brilliant goal, almost repeated it and hit the post, mm. put another one just over the crossbar, and then. Cut back inside and and found a conjured this, this glorious cross for Mateta's winner. Um, but but moreover, he the way he actually stood up to the abuse that was raining down on him, and and that's that was verbal and <laughs> and bottles. Um, okay, a bit unwise possibly to shush the the Millwall fans or to to sort of gesture bring it on, or, but. Actually, it was quite nice to see, you know, giving a bit back um, in, in that hostile environment. I think that that sums him up. He's got a lot of self confidence. He's not a talker. He did a post match interview, which was, you know, the Athletic had struggled to get ten words out of, let alone ten thousand. But his skill on the football pitch is something else, and it's it's no wonder that there are four countries now competing for his, you know, for his allegiance, basically, and pe- people want them him to play for them. And, and Palace are very, very lucky to have him. What those four countries in full, Dom? Well, England. He's represented France's junior teams. Uh, I believe his mother is French Algerian, so he qualifies for Algeria, and his father's Nigerian, so he qualifies for them as well. He's, he's the new Adnan Janisai. Is, is that right? <laughs> yeah, do you remember that? That was amazing. <laughs> he's declared for Belgium. No, <laughs> lost <Okay>. him. <laughs> So, uh, as you say, he's been used a bit sparingly by Palace. Uh, they've been dosing his Premier League appearances, but with Jordan Ayew and Wilfred Zaha on international duty, we're confident that he will be in the starting lineup. Yes, yeah, Dom start. is. Yeah. Dom, where do you stand on the use of M23 and or A23 in relation to this fixture? Uh, it's complete and utter garbage, and I will call <coughs> people out for using it. Why? Fair enough. Because no nobody relevant calls it that. I mean, it's like saying that Leeds and United see M sixty two derby. It's nonsense. Right. Okay, so can that we, one's off as well. Can we pitch the Hassocks Classico? Is that okay? <laughs> El Gatwico is the one to do. Okay. El Gatwico. That's coming up Friday. Oh, it's coming up Friday night. 
Good Lord. Eight o'clock. You won that game last season. Was it 2-0? 2-1 with two touches in the Brighton box. Remarkable. But that was last year's Brighton. Brighton had 25 shots, 75% possession, but only the one goal. Brighton currently lying ninth in the table, four points ahead of Crystal Palace, who are down in 12th. Excellent. Very shortly, we'll get more of the exciting fixtures on their way in the Premier League this weekend. But first, let's catch up on the Africa Cup of Nations. It's the Paddy Power Football Supporters Support Line. We're talking to Arsenal fan Dave about his New Year's resolutions. How's the 10,000 steps going, Dave? Yeah, it's going great, thanks. The 50 push-ups? Every day. And how about moaning less about Arsenal? Oh, seriously, mate, we need to sign a new midfielder if we want top four. And don't get me started on Liverpool postponing that cup. Being a football fan isn't always rewarding. But if it's rewards you're after, this Sunday you can get a completely free £5 bet builder on the North London Derby. Paddy Power. Pre-match online bet builder bets only. Max one free £5 bet per customer. Minimum two legs must have previously deposited to avail. T's and C's apply. 18 plus become Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Well, Danny Sikazwe seemed to blow his full-time whistle there, even though there are only 85 minutes on the clock. Soon we'll find out how many minutes of added time they will be. Well, this time, he has definitively brought the match to the end, and there's still not 90 minutes on the clock. Africa Cup of Nations. Uh, Wednesday was an interesting day at the tournament. Bizarre scenes at Tunisia Mali, where the ref didn't play the full 90, and then the teams got called out uh, about 20 minutes later to finish off the game. Also, the other match, Mauritania Gambia, got delayed by 45 minutes while they looked for the right national anthem uh, to be played for Mauritania. They'd walked off the field pre-kickoff after hearing the wrong one a couple of times. Gambia eventually won that game. I bet no one can guess by what score. That's right, it was 1-0. Very much the trademark of this AFCON so far. We're joined now by Maher Mazahi of The Athletic, who's out there sampling the jazz clubs and generally writing the whole thing up for The Athletic. Uh, Maher, thank you so much for being with us again. Thanks for having me on. It's been a real pleasure so far. Well, we, we, we really enjoyed your, your preview and there's so much to uh, discuss from the what's now the opening round. Uh, Wednesday night saw the opening set of matches completed. 12 games and, uh, well, 12 goals so far. Big talking point, though, from Wednesday was that Tunisia-Mali uh, game with uh, Zambian referee Janis uh, Sikazwi uh, blowing up for the first time on 85 minutes, then told that he hadn't played the full 90, so then finishing the game in the 89th minute, uh, which was quite remarkable. How on earth did this happen, Maher? Yeah, that's probably the only thing that I couldn't 100% tell you. I was at the match and I managed somehow to get incredible access. My accreditation was not supposed to be uh, suitable for, you know, getting in through the tunnels and uh, going to the press conference and the mix zone and sitting at one point right next to El Bilal Toure in the stands. But that's just the chaos that sort of ensued after all of this happened. Um, we still haven't heard from the referee, Jenny Sikeswe, who, ironically enough, is actually a math teacher in his spare time. So everybody was saying, how can he not count you know, to 90 minutes? He's a math teacher. Um, one thing I do have to point out is that, um, the you know, usually on either side of the stands, you have these giant screens mm. that display the score and they display the, the time. For some reason, at this Africa Cup of Nations, and it wasn't just in Limbe yesterday, it was also in Douala, uh, where I've been, and some people have told me it's in Yaoundé as well. There's been no clock on these giant screens. And again, we haven't heard any reason for why that is. I'm assuming he had some kind of malfunction with the with his wristwatch, but even then, I don't understand how the fourth referee or some of his assistants didn't help him out. Right. Um, I'll just say one more thing as well, is that you know now between administrators and journalists, we're hearing whispers that perhaps Sikazwe was sort of suffering from something. We don't know what. Uh, they're saying symptoms were consistent with heat stroke. Right. Um, we, we're, I don't want to, like, that's not confirmed at all, but that's what, that's, those are the whispers that are sort of coming out now. 
Okay. I should just uh, reassure any concerned listeners that the banging and crashing going on behind you there is the people putting up scaffolding outside your front door uh, at, at the Airbnb where you are at the moment, Maher. No, it's already up. They've already. Uh, I just took a quick nap uh, between nine and and ten thirty because I was so tired yesterday. Uh-huh. And when I woke up, there's there's scaffolding already built up. It's I can't open my door because uh, they just built it right outside my door. So I'm starving, but I'm gonna have to find a solution a little bit later on. Okay, so they're currently taking the scaffolding down again, so you can use yes. the front door. Okay, they're liberating me. Yes. <laughs> Best of luck with that. All right. Well, um, there you go, Mali. Anyway, uh, winning that game. Uh, against Tunisia. 1-0 as it stands, although because when in the post-game press conference the officials came in and said we're going to go back out and replay the final minutes, uh, Tunisia then declined to return to the field. So Mali may get a a, a bigger win awarded to them. We'll we'll see what happens with that. But you were impressed with Mali, though. You have them down as potential dark horses. Tunisia were kind of like, you know, know, kind of like my wife. Like, you know, when... um when we don't go to a restaurant and then she says, why don't you take me to outside restaurant? And then I said, okay, let's go to outside restaurant. She says, I don't want to go anyways anymore since you didn't propose anything. You know, that's how Tunisia were at first. They said, yeah, we want to go out and play the final three minutes. And then when Calf came and said, okay, step out onto the field to go play the final three minutes, I said, no, no point now anyways. But yeah, on the pitch, there actually was a game and Mali were quite good. Um, they really controlled the tempo in midfield. They have the Bundesliga-based midfielders, uh, Amadou Haidara and Yade Samaseku who I've really, really enjoyed watching so far. Um, great in the tackle, very tidy in possession. Yves Bissouma came on and looked liberated. I mean, there's always these tropes in Africa that, you know, sometimes we have talented central midfielders and they're consigned to, you know, more defensive roles uh, in Europe. People say John Obi Mikel is like a super great, talented midfielder. And he was consigned to a defensive role by Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex Song, you could see that he just wanted to play as a striker and somehow, you know, <laughs> he was somehow uh, sometimes a, a central defender and, and other times obviously a defensive midfielder. But Yves Bissouma yesterday, wow, he looked really, really creative, really good. They have a striker named Ibrahim Akone who's known as the Malian Romelu Lukaku. He's like thick striker with a, a bald head and really good with his back towards goal. He fit, slotted the, the penalty home with ease. So I think uh, we spoke last time about Mali perhaps being uh, the dark horses. And I said, we've been saying that for a decade now, but they really have looked good. And I think that uh, if, you're, if you have any money to bet on them, I think it wouldn't be a bad bet to take. Tuesday, the big game was Nigeria-Egypt, which saw a 1-0 win for the Super Eagles with a, a very underwhelming performance from Mo Salah and the Pharaohs. Yeah, and there's uh, trouble in paradise. Carlos Quiros, uh, who we said last time, uh, was doing a pretty good job with the uh, the local team at the FIFA Arab Cup. And, you know, he's a really thorough manager and we had a lot of confidence in him. After the match, he went over to the Egypt supporters, who apparently one of them said something to him. And he just yelled, you come down and face me. You come down and face me like three or four times. And he had to sort of be like ushered away by the CAF media officers. I don't know what he was trying to say or what he was trying to do. But in Egypt, if you <laughs> if you go to Carlos Quiros's Twitter profile now and just look at uh, click any of one of his tweets and just look at the responses, it's play Mohamed Salah as a winger. Mohamed Salah is a winger. Mohamed Salah is a winger. You know, Mustafa Mohamed is a striker. He's getting a lot of grief for playing all of his players in the wrong positions. They don't know what he's trying to do really. They just want Salah to play on the right wing. Mustafa Mohamed to play as a striker, and so on and so forth. They also lost a really promising right back, uh, Akram Tufif, to an ACL injury. So that was the first major injury uh, injury of the tournament. So that's quite sad. But don't take anything from Nigeria. I wasn't sure about them because, you know, they have an interim coach, uh, Egwaven. And the problem is um, they have already hired his successor, who is at the tournament, sort of overseeing everything, looking over his shoulder. So I wasn't really sure how the, you know, the chemistry of all of that would work if, you know, if he would even be selecting his own team. And then you had the problems, you know, calling up the players like Igalo and Oseman and Emmanuel Dennis. But they looked really sharp. They looked really good. I'd love to see them follow that up with another good performance, though. Okay. So far, we've not seen many goals. It has been widely observed. So many theories as to why this might be. What What, what is your favourite? What do you think it's down to? It's got to be a combination of factors. I honestly do think the chaotic preparation uh, was a big part of this. Uh, COVID, uh, p- players not being released until January 3rd. Uh, that's six days before the opening match. The goalkeeping has been really good. You know, Mali, mm. the, the Mali goalkeeper was man of the match. Uh, Sudan goalkeeper was man of the match. Sierra Leone keeper mm. had seven saves against Algeria, and he had the most touches out of his side uh, on his side as well. I think it was 47 touches. 
Um, so the goalkeeper, the standard of goalkeeping has been pretty decent. There have been some goalkeeping errors, but overall it's been good. Um, and then honestly, the humidity has to play a part as well. Yesterday it was 80% humidity in Limbe. And you know, when it's like very hot and, and humid and thick, um, you can't really get that end-to-end -end action. And obviously with more mobility, there are more usually more creating uh, creative opportunities to score. And so I think the weather does play a role as well. So I think mm. all of those factors combined together are probably the reason why we're seeing some low-scoring games. I do hope that as teams sort of get into the tournament, uh, we're going to see some better matches. Sierra Leone holding the uh, the holders, Algeria, to a nil-nil draw with Mo Kamara, the, the keeper there in, in, in devastating form. His, his nickname is Fabianski, and nobody knows why. Oh, because that was my next question, actually. Um, <laughs> it, there's no physical resemblance? No, no physical. I promise you, there's no physical resemblance. But we have like these weird nicknames in Africa. Like Nebi Keita is known as Deco. Okay. Uh, over here, yeah. Um, the Sierra Leonean journalist I spoke to, uh, Mohamed Fajabari, just told me, you know, all of our local players they like to take on uh, nicknames. But I mean, of all the nicknames you could choose, you know, of all the goalkeepers in the world, why he landed on Lucas Fabianski, I'll never, I'll never know. Why? There's another one who's named after the England international Stephen Corker as well. What's that about? <laughs> <laughs> he was actually pretty good. He was actually very good and he gave a good count of himself. Him, him, him and Kay Kamara speaking to the press, I was very, very impressed. Oh yeah, there's a, a Guinean Bissau uh, Guinean left winger named uh, Piketty, but on his shirt there's Pele on it. So, But that's, I think, a pretty common one across the world right. probably. Yeah, yeah, not the first to to wear that or or even the second. A magnificent performance from Sierra Leone with Corker and, and Fabianski in what was their first AFCON game since 1996. So what are you anticipating for the next few days? What should we look out for, Maher? So over the next few days, what I'm expecting is for a lot of the stronger sides to play, actually a lot of the weaker sides, we're going to have less of the Nigeria versus Egypt's you know, and uh, Tunisia versus Mali's. And so I'm expecting actually uh, teams to be better prepared now for this tournament, be more acclimated to the weather, put in better performances. I'm expecting to see some more like 3-1 scorelines. At least mm. I'm praying for that. Um, Excellent. Yeah, definitely. That's definitely, I think, the things to watch out for. Good. Very good, Maher. Many, many thanks for that. Best of luck getting out your front door again. And we'll <laughs> we'll catch up I'm, with you. I'll, I'll send Charlie a photo of all of that. But yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. And I'm actually going to my first jazz club tonight. That should you be hope up. so, anyway. Called, yes, yes called the cottage yeah exactly i hope so yeah if i can if they can get this down brilliant all right well listen best of luck with that and we'll catch up with you soon thank you that was quite a shock wasn't it stephen corker turning up for sierra leone he, spoke he, with him on, spoke with him after the game um, oh did you don uh, yeah he's a he's a sort of yeah someone that i've had a lot of dealings with over the years and he, he's he's had does have this uh, passion for for Sierra Leone that that um, he, I mean obviously he qualifies I think through his grandfather grandfather yeah yeah um, and he's he's spent a lot of time out there over the over recent years in in the closed season building schools etc um, I mean you look at this is a player that as you say played for England and was courted by Scotland and was going to you know they considered taking him and, and taking him to the Euros in the summer um, but he ended up applying to FIFA to get this allegiance switch to, to Sierra Leone and, and it's been a bit of an eye-opener for him in all honesty the last the, the friendlies before Christmas were they played in Morocco a couple of games there and then to go over to Cameroon uh, he had a little training base in Sierra Leone and then went over to Cameroon for the for the tournament itself and he he, he talked about the the humidity and he talked about the organization and it is a complete culture shock for him complete culture shock but but I thought he played superbly well, to be honest. I thought he, I thought he summed up that performance from Sierra Leone. It was a fantastic, fantastic clean sheet against the the reigning champions, and a, and a great way for them to to mark their return to the competition. Yeah, they were my the team I was watching because the only Wiccan player is is yeah, who came on came on uh, as a substitute in that game. But yeah, the. Cameron goal, Kulka. It was. I mean, Kulka's had such a strange career, really, hasn't he? Remember, he was loaned to Liverpool when Klopp first arrived as a as a striker. Um, who played him up front bizarrely for a couple of games. And as you know, one game, one goal for England. Not many. It's a very select band of players have done that. You know, yeah. What, what a game yeah, it was as well that he featured him. He yeah, always the, he always reminds me that that uh, when he went off in that game, England were two one up. 
in <laughs> Sweden, in uh, Stockholm, and then Ibrahimovic did what he did and ended up winning. They won four mm. two. Um, but he's yeah, you're absolutely right. He has had a a, a, a difficult career in a many in many ways, and he's become a bit of a forgotten man playing in Turkey for the last few years. But he's he's done really well there. He was in the, in the Turkish team of the domestic team of the year last season at Alanyaspor, and then ended up getting his dream move to Fenerbahce, and then they changed their manager on the eve of the season. And the new bloke bombed him out, so he's now playing for a club in on loan near the Syrian border, um, Gaziantep, and and doing very well for them as well. Brilliant. All right. Well, Sierra Leone off to a cracking start with that point. Uh, very much tournament minnows. If you're looking for a team to follow through this Afcon. Could it be them? What's their nickname? Is it? It's not diamonds, is it? They're the Leone Stars. Well, there you go. Mm. Excellent. All right. Next up, back to that Premier League. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which is good news for Watford fans as they get ready to appoint their third manager of the season. Free match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Other T's and C's apply. And please gamble responsibly. Listener, it's the 13th of January. While we record this on this day in 1998. Who took charge of their first game as a manager? Who? It was David Moyes, everyone. Moisey. David Moyes, that's right, Duncan. Good knowledge. Can you remember the fixture? Yes, it was a 1-0 victory for Preston North End at Macclesfield in the auto windscreen shield. What was the auto windscreen shield? Johnston's paint trophy. Check was trade. it? The, as demonstrated by Arsenal and Chelsea's uh, under 21 this, this week. Okay. Under 23s. Right. 24 years on, so much has changed. Moyes now sitting in the top four of the Premier League with West Ham. Not many managers can pull off a third act to their career uh, in this fashion, particularly after an act two like the one at Old Trafford that Moyes had. How much is this because Moyes has stayed true to his tactics or how much of it is because he's moved with the times? Well, I'd say more the latter, really. I mean, he's mm. a kind of contemporary of, of Benitez and Mourinho who seem sort of slightly stuck in their methods. Whereas if you look at West Ham this season, they're playing some good stuff. They're, they're kind of open play. XG is really good. Um, you know, they're regularly getting sort of 85, 86, 87% pass completion, which is not kind of what you think of as the classic Moyes approach. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and also given the the psychological torment that he had essentially is replacing Alex Ferguson which was always going to be the the biggest poison chalice in football management ever pretty much unless any Guy Roux fans want to wade in but um but uh yeah I think it's it's really admirable and I'm you know I really hope personally that West Ham finish finish fourth oh there you go uh, what what would you say when you say you don't think of it as a classic Moyes approach what what is the classic Moyes approach then Tim Cahill, but and oh, Mauro and Fellaini, but what else? Yeah, that, I mean, it's, Everton. It it was a, a more functional approach, wasn't it? I mean, it was mm. it was very much. I mean, I think part of the reason he struggled when he went to Manchester United was because he felt he had to immediately adapt to the way United played, and some of their performances in the first half of that season were a little bit odd because he'd obviously the only person he'd been able to bring in was Fellaini, and he brought in the Everton coaching team, and it, it felt like trying to impose that Everton um, effectiveness. Paradigm. 
yeah. onto a team that had been dragged to the title when they probably shouldn't have won the league title. So, Michael, is this second stint for him at West Ham and the success that he's enjoying it, is this the biggest surprise you've seen in Premier League management in the last, I'm going to throw this out, five years? Yeah, I think so. Not just in terms of him as a coach or tactically, but because it, when he took over at West Ham, the mood was very low. Mm. I mean, they hate the new stadium. There was no enthusiasm about anything, really. And Moyes, while he's often been very good in terms of organisation, you wouldn't say he's a manager who's got a track record for really lifting the spirits, with all due respect. I mean, it was at Sunderland when it was really bleak. West Ham, the first time around, he'd, he'd taken them out of trouble, but there was still a bit of a bad mood around the club. So... I'm more surprised that the club just seems so positive and it now feels like if you go to the London Stadium, there's a good atmosphere there behind the team, they're, they're happy to be going there. That is the turnaround I've been most impressed with. Mm. Um, because, I mean, he's had a strange managerial career. He did three pretty bad jobs in a row, if we're being honest. I mean, Manchester United was a huge failure. Real Sociedad didn't work out at all and the, the season at Sunderland was absolutely disastrous. So... For him to, you know, not just be taking West Ham into mid-table, but to be taking him into Europe where they've been fantastic. Um, and I think a lot of people, myself included, thought there'd be a real bad effect on their league performance because they were competing in Europe. That hasn't happened either. So, yeah, it's been fantastic. Mm. Not all been most, because there's been the uh, change in transfer policy at West Ham, which has uh, reaped dividends. Uh, they're now fourth, as I mentioned, two points clear of Arsenal, but have played a game more. Sunday, they host Leeds for a change. Uh, last Sunday, they beat Bielsa's uh, side 2-0 there at the London Stadium in the FA Cup. In fact, they won all four of their meetings with Leeds in all competitions uh, since the Yorkshire side came up. Dom, how are Leeds looking ahead of this one? Well, I mean, I, I don't even know whether Bielsa knows that, to be honest. They seem to pick up new injury issues virtually every single day. Um I mean, I think is it Gellart who was who who they were pinning their hopes on for about ten minutes. He he's now succumbed to to an injury, and I don't think he played in the FA Cup tie. Um, it, I don't know. It doesn't doesn't feel like a Leeds team at the moment. It doesn't. I guess that's. I, I guess that they'll have to they'll have to muddle on by as best they can. But I I I'd have thought they would have used this uh, January as a as a chance to to strengthen a few of their options and as yet nothing much has happened mm-hmm. Just on West Ham obviously they had a comfortable win against Norwich as is the style uh, in midweek Jared Bowen was really really good in that game he's now got 8 goals and 8 assists this season which is the most of any English player and 10 more than Jack Grealish and which is quite stark um, and yeah I think Bowen is obviously being coveted by quite a lot of big clubs and I think it's been quite hard to grasp whether he could go to the next level, but I think the last month or so has kind of shown that he is, you know, mm. the real deal. Really, we certainly dealt pretty well with the move from Hull to to East London. He illustrates Michael's point actually about how Moyes has, has changed the vibe at uh, at West Ham because he had the choice, didn't he, Dom, of going to Palace or or West Ham, and it seemed Palace seemed much the more sensible choice, and he, he chose West Ham, and I remember everyone at the time sort of going, well, that's, that's a bit odd, going to that club that seems a little bit in a spiral of doom, but it's worked out okay. I would suggest that that was an agent being slightly mischievous to enforce a move through to West Ham United. Wow. A little glimpse behind the scenes there for you and I, Duncan. Mm. <laughs> now, the other... Learn a lesson. Yeah, the other the other chance for cup revenge this weekend: Aston Villa against Man United. That's Saturday tea time. If you're keeping track, yes, these two met on Monday. A game that Michael, you're eager to to, to talk about. United one nil winners in the FA Cup, a third round. How impressed were you with uh, Ralph Rangnick's new direction at uh, at uh, Man United? Yeah, not at all. No, I mean, not particularly keen to talk about that, about that game. But I think this, the weekend's game should be, should be interesting. I think at Villa Park and um... right, this is back at their place, and they brought in some extra lads, haven't they? This Philippe Coutinho. <laughs> yeah, Coutinho. Uh, I mean, I've, I've always been a bit bemused by his reputation. I mean, he's still the third most expensive player in the world, which I find bizarre because I don't think he's. He's really ever been that good, but he's a great signing for Villa. I mean, for for their level to get in a player like that, I think it's quite exciting. Obviously, there's the link with Steven Gerrard, um, and I think the system as well should suit him. I've always been a little bit perplexed about what 
what position he plays in. Is he number 10? Is he left of attack? Is he kind of number eight pushing forward? I think the way that uh, Villa play, almost a Christmas tree formation with the two number 10s behind a striker, that should really suit him. That inside left position, if he can get the ball 25 yards out, left of centre, he's very, very good in those positions. Um, so yeah, I, I, I found the Barcelona move absolutely extraordinary, but for Villa to get him is a, a great signing. And Luca Dean as well. I mean, mm. that's a completely rejuvenated left flank. Um, I mean, Coutinho and, and Dean were, were briefly linking up for Barcelona about four or five years ago. I know Barcelona's transfer uh, decisions haven't been the best over the years and, and neither of those two worked out for them. But it's a pretty... Um, I think Villa's an exciting club, actually. You know, a few people questioned Steven Gerrard when he went there, but he would have known, I think, he would have had assurances from the directors, whoever, that they were going to invest in the club. And um, to get in players of that calibre, a France international, Brazil international... Um, I think it's pretty exciting. Coutinho, so will he essentially be taking over the Jack Grealish role? I don't think that's an unfair comparison, yeah. I think they are quite similar in, in positional terms. Um, I think it might, in long term it could be Buendia who, who does miss out, actually. He hasn't really done it for Villa as, as we might have expected considering some of his uh, chance creation numbers. Villa, I think by and large, people felt did play well in that game, although they lost... 1-0. They have beaten United in the league already this season. They haven't done the league double over them since 1954-55 when, remarkably, they beat the Red Devils on consecutive days. 1-0 at Old Trafford on the 27th of December and 2-1 at Villa Park on the 28th of December. Huh. It's Villa Park that's been the issue as well. Oh. Um, they haven't won their in the last 22 home league games against Manchester United. I mean, the last time they did was the famous game in 95. You, you won't come with anything with kids, uh, Alan Hansen. But, um, yeah, since then, it's been the easiest picking ground for United ever. But I think this is the best chance for quite a while for them to, to end that run. Um, as Michael said, it, it should be a pretty exciting game, I think. Mm. So, On, on that... Um when they last beat them on consecutive days. I know back mm. at that time, in those days, it was relatively common, particularly over Christmas, for teams to face each other on consecutive days. What what was the point in that? A genuine question. Well, why did they schedule those fixtures against the same team two days in a row? Was there any benefit to that? It just seems quite boring to me. It happens in non-league now, though, doesn't it, Michael? I, mean, I noticed one of the, uh, the National League South rounds of games seem to have back-to-back fixtures just on Boxing Day and then the, their next game towards the end of December was was against the same opponents away. Was that is that is that common in non-league? So not the level I watch. I mean, they do... They obviously try to schedule kind of derbies on bank holidays and that <coughs> kind of thing. So maybe... Did that come into it? Because it was a weird late bank holiday. But, yeah, so. not that I've noticed in particular, but hmm. it just seems quite odd. I mean, for example, if you'd had the two sides going for the title against each other back-to-back and... One player gets a very minor injury, which keeps him out of both games against the title rivals. Just seems quite an odd situation, but yeah. there you go. My, my next question: allowed along to be injured lines... in those days. To be fair, <laughs> yeah, that is true. My next question along those lines is: Why did they use goal average for so many years rather than goal difference? What was the what was the point in goal average? I don't know, Duncan. If you don't know this stuff, no one will. <laughs> But it is goal average. If you look at the titles that were decided, or you know, key moments in football history that decided on goal average it why there weren't riots up and down the country remains <laughs> yeah. so for it's example stupid so for example who won a title based on this uh, there was one between cardiff and huddersfield i think in yeah. the 20s it's the, yeah, the only example of, of where if, if you'd use goal difference, difference instead of goal average the mm. title would have cardiff. gone the other way but yeah. I, I just don't understand why you would think to divide one by the other rather than just subtract one from the other. It doesn't make any sense to me, but I'm fascinated by it. I'm surprised that you get these people um, who spend a lot of time kind of complaining about modern football and sort of saying we should, you know, bring stuff back. I'm surprised someone hasn't suggested bringing back goal average. I mean, it won't happen and it can't happen and it shouldn't happen. But When, when, when did the change happen, Duncan? 1978? Really? Late 70s, yeah. I mean, right. obviously that time, three points for a win came in in the early 80s as well, so it was mm. a time of, of great change in the league. But, I mean, it, it did, if you look at that time, teams weren't encouraged to attack much because of goal average. You know, defending was more important. And also, 
you know, with two points for a win, going away from home and getting a draw was a was a good result. So, you know, people go on about, oh, I wish football was like the, the, the old days. It's like, well, do you? Really? Goal, goal average. What are you dividing by? Goals for by goals against? Yeah. So, yeah. so what happens if... you? What happens if you literally don't concede a goal all season? Do you not have a goal average? Essentially, obviously that doesn't happen. But yeah, it, it was stupid. So team, it was you know a team could have scored way more, way fewer goals than someone else and be in a much better position because their defence was also you know uh, proportionally better. So yeah, Michael's correct in yeah, dismissing it as quite right. Mm. Right. Well, it's it's interesting you say that about modern football, done because I remember. Um, posting something about expected goals on Twitter a couple of years ago and someone responded with a point that I thought was silly but it was quite a good catchphrase I must concede (laughs) which was there's no decimal place in football I did quite (laughs) like that but if he went back to the goal average days he would have found that a decimal place was actually pivotal to league titles (laughs) being decided so he's embarrassed himself there I think you find that decimal place actually turned out for Procesto in the uh, the 1950s anyway Um, anyway Uh, right excellent next up uh, we're back to more of the modern game this is the Totally Football Show part of the Athletic Podcast Network Totally Football League show is out on Thursday should be a bumper one as well among the topics I feel confident uh, will be Fulham 7-0 win at Reading. Another 7-0 win on the road for the Cottagers. They already did that once at Blackburn back in November. It also featured one of the all-time great goals that wasn't allowed. Disallowed goals, as they're normally called. Two. Two. Were they both great? Mm. Yeah. Andy, Car- the Andy Carroll with them, with them both for Reading. Uh, neither stood. Which, which one was better? Because I've I got to admit, I only saw the first one. One of them was an overhead kick, and one okay. of them was a on, took it on the chest and volleyed in from twenty. Yeah, minutes. that was the first one, and then, good lord, I didn't stay watching. I could have seen another great disallowed goal. All right, uh, probably also getting a mention in the Totally Football League show, uh, Lincoln's Chris Maguire, who was up against his former club Sunderland manager there. Lee Johnson had released him. But guess what? Chris scored against the Black Cats. Did he celebrate? No, he didn't. But then, yes, he did. He held his hands up saying, no, no, no. But then he ran over to Lee Johnson and whacked a finger in his face. Brilliant stuff. Uh, he actually ended up with a hat-trick. So, and everybody And Lee cheered. Johnson got sent off. Did he? Yeah, Cracking. there was a, a mini melee at the end of the match. So, not a good week for Sunderland, really. Right, but a particularly good one for Chris Maguire. Anyway, you can hear all the details uh, on that and more in the Totally Football League show. Still to come in today's show, not very much. Although, we are going to tackle the other Premier League fixtures and Newcastle-Watford. Crikey. Mentioned Coutinho and how excited Michael is to see him line up for Aston Villa. How about this Chris Wood to Newcastle news? Michael. Yeah, I, I like Chris Wood. I think he's a good player. I think sometimes he gets a little bit typecast because of his physique, because he's playing for Burnley. But I looked at his stats over the last four and a half years since he joined Burnley, and it's pretty good. I mean, it's, it's four full seasons. He scored 10, 10, 14 and 12. Right. There's only nine players who've scored more than him in the Premier League over that period. Um, there's Salah, Kane, Vardy, Sterling... Uh, Mane, Aubameyang, Aguero, Son and Lacazette, all players for big clubs. So he's almost the best of the rest, if you like, um, aside from the, the big six or the big seven, whatever you want to call them. Um, he's got as many goals as Roberto Firmino in that time. I know they're very different mm. types of forwards, but he does score goals. Only three of those goals have been penalties. Um, I think there's a decent argument it does weaken Burnley more than it strengthens Newcastle. Um, and that could well be crucial for the maybe the last relegation place. But um, I see why they've done it. And also... I mean, if there is to be another round or, or another few rounds of spending and they end up with attacking players that are of a different calibre to Chris Wood, he's still a perfect plan B. I mean, he could be a plan B for any of the big clubs, bring him on with 20 minutes to go and be useful. So I do think it works on various levels. Mm. He's only scored three Premier League goals this season, though, although his average is uh, clearly... He's been in the double figures for the last uh, four campaigns at at Turf Moor. Uh, Burnley were powerless to prevent him leaving, is that right? They activated a buyout clause. Yeah, that's yeah, £25 million is the suggestion, isn't it? 
So it seems that Newcastle only found out about it after they'd been in dialogue with Kieran Trippier's agent, who happens to be the same agent as Chris Wood's agent. Ah. Um, it's like being Q, isn't it? It's like being Q. If you've got the money, you can get the wood. Uh, <laughs> he is, by the way, the top, continues to be the top uh, scoring building material in Premier League history, Chris Wood. Okay. Um, with 50 ahead of Stone and Stones, which is in the mid 30s. Are there no other building materials available in terms of Premier there's League lots. nomenclature? There's granite, Hierro, okay. Stephen Glass. So, yeah, there's. Um, it's a keenly contested. Straw? Would that. Not been a straw in the Premier League yet. Not been a daub, a wattle and daub. Plus, no. pigs will tell you all about whether or not that qualifies as an adequate. Uh, whether that meets code. Mm. He's, actually, he's actually not the top scoring wood in this season's Premier League because of Mason Greenwood. I don't know if that counts. That ca- no, it certainly it does count. 100% well, counts. Well, I don't think it counts, to be honest. No. Okay. Because you, you right. wouldn't build with green wood. You, Question. You're asking for trouble. You might paint Question. it. You, you, might, you might use the wood and then paint it green for a Was shed, for example. Among the many reasons, yeah, as you say, so. Michael, that, that Newcastle wanted to make this signing, weakening Burnley, strengthening themselves, was one of the preeminent ones, the fact that their social media department could then put out a tweet on a Thursday morning saying, we've got wood. Probably up there. Yeah, yeah, I think it was one of the prime motivations. Disappointing again from Newcastle. Anyway, they're taking on Watford this weekend, potentially with Chris Wood in the uh, starting lineup. Watford are the only team in English league football yet to keep a clean sheet this season. Huge match that. They're both in the bottom four. Huge. Anyway, we'll see how that works out. Bring you our thoughts on it on Monday. Also this weekend, Burnley Leicester, which means, Duncan. It's time to check on our Jamie Vardy goal-scoring chart, which mm. we've been dutifully filling out each week. Duncan, you recall, listener said he wouldn't make it to double figures this season. Vardy proceeded to get to nine by November. Oh, but he hasn't scored since, and now, Duncan, he's out for eight weeks with a hamstring strain. Now, you wouldn't wish that on anyone, but at the same time, all of a sudden, your prediction... He's beginning to look quite extraordinarily uncanny. I'm not saying it's the main thing I'm looking at for the rest of the Premier League season, but yes, yeah, it's, it's up there. So um, yeah, I mean, obviously you wouldn't you wouldn't wish that on on anyone, let alone Jamie Vardy. But he's he's getting on a bit. It was his birthday this week, and uh, hamstrings do get tighter. So All right, they do, don't they? Also coming up this weekend, Norwich Everton. Dom, could Everton could they lose this game? Not on recent evidence of what how Norwich have been performing, um, but they might give it a good go. Um, it's I, I, I feel a bit I feel a bit sorry for for Norwich. You know, I don't think that the, the team that they've been putting out of late really reflects their first choice selections, and and it has been pretty ruthlessly picked apart by I think six on the bounce, isn't it? Now they haven't and they failed to score in any of them. I watched them at Sellers over Christmas, and they would—they would. I mean, it was dreadful, but it wasn't their first choice team. And now they've lost Billy Gilmore as well. Albeit mm. Gilmore was getting grief from from their own supporters, that has actually left them even weaker still. Um, even chaotic, underachieving Everton with the the poison and the politics around that club, even they will fancy their chances of getting a result. Carroll, although. Everton have only averaged 1.29 goals a game against Norwich in the Premier League compared to Luis Suarez, who averaged 2.0. So um, they need to step up. Also, there's, I don't know how long Ranker lasts, but um, obviously Mike Walker walked out on Norwich and then immediately faxed Everton to ask for a job interview. And that was a big, a big uh, anger fest. And that's what the Norwich fans chanted ever afterwards. Ranker, Ranker, wasn't it? I think it was that, yeah. Okay. Uh, Well, it's a keenly felt fixture, that one, and it will be taking place Saturday at three o'clock. Also Saturday at three o'clock, Wolves against Southampton, who, as we mentioned, are now high-scoring Saints after their whopping 4-1 win over Brentford. Uh, Wolves equally piled on the goals in their last fixture as well. That was a 3-0 victory in the FA Cup over Sheffield United in the league, though. Their scoring lines over the last eight games have been 1-0, 0-0, 0-0, 0-1, 0-1, 1-0, 0-0, 1-0. 
I was just wondering which group at the AFCON they should go into. But... Yes, indeed. Uh, but there's a new there's a new breeze blowing out the cobwebs at St Mary's. New owner Dragon Solak was was there to watch the four uh, one win over the bees midweek. Does anyone have any thoughts about Wolves Saints? There's been quite a lot of games over the last two or three weeks where I've thought, why isn't that on television? But you see Norwich versus Everton and Wolves versus Southampton. You just don't have the same feeling, do you? Do you not? I'm quite intrigued by Norwich Everton. I mean, it could there could be goals, but mm. they're both so bad at the moment. Mm. Whereas Wolf, Wolves Southampton, they're not bad, but there's no goals. You, there's different reasons why I won't be. Um, illegally streaming those particular games. <laughs> so it's only about goals, is what you're saying? No, I, I said very clearly it was partly about <laughs> goals and partly about quality. What <laughs> games will you be legally streaming uh, this weekend, Michael? What has particularly piqued your interest? Well, I mean, there's two big, there two big games uh, in terms of uh, City, Chelsea and, and Arsenal Tottenham. I think they're, they're right. clearly the standout games. I must say, Brighton Palace... The reverse fixture was there was late drama, but the fixture was actually really bad. I thought it's a really flat game that. So I don't it's know. Too much this riding on good. it. It's too much pressure. Possibly, um, I I I can't complain with the televised selections. To be honest, James, I think can you not? They've got a spot. I mean, Brentford Liverpool that reverse the, the three all was one of the best games of the season. So right. whether it will be good, as good as at Anfield, um, I don't know, but I'll tune in for that. Basically, whatever's on television, I'm going to watch. And whatever isn't on television, I'm not going to watch. That seems fair. That seems fair. Brilliant. All right. Well, I could quickly ask you, Dom and Duncan, in the interest of politeness, what fix you're most looking forward to? Well, personally, we're talking the A23 Classica. It's also the M40 Classica this weekend. It is really the, the weekend of road-based Super Classicos, um, Wickham-Oxford. Oh, Wickham-Oxford, right. So, yeah, that's that's quite uh, important for me. Um, so, yeah. Any other road-based games? Tom? Not engaging in road-based games. Not engaging. <laughs> Tom's face is really not... I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Well, that brings us to the end of our road. because he gets a helicopter to Brian. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's it for today's Totally Football show list. I thank you so much for being with us. And thank you to Duncan and Dom and Michael and producer Charlie. As ever, Totally returns on Monday to round up everything that's happened until that point. So I can only hope you'll be joining us for some of that and that you have a wonderful weekend in the meanwhile. From all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.